0: Morning by morning, new mercies I see. What is the first thing that you see in the morning? Maybe it's the ceiling above your bed or a light fixture, right? Maybe it's the disheveled hair of your spouse laying next to you. Maybe it's the faint glow of the sunlight through the windows, or maybe you don't see much of anything at all. Because when you first wake up, everything is still just a big sleepy blur, regardless of what it is that you see. For most of us, sight is one of the last senses to finally engage after we wake up and are conscious, right? Many, many are probably first woken up by sound, you know, the sound of an alarm or birds singing. And it's only after that persistent alarm that you finally open your eyes to see the day. Or others might wake to feeling, you know, maybe it's the warm softness of your bed that you do not want to get out of, or maybe it's this weird crick in your neck because you slept funny last night. And some might be uh, awakened first to scent. I have a very specific memory as a kid of waking up to the smell of blueberry muffins wafting up to my room, only to a few seconds later, hear my dad knocking on the door to announce that breakfast was ready. And so whether it's the sound of your alarm, the feeling of your bed, or the smell of breakfast, for most of us, it's only after these things that we finally open our eyes and see the day that is before us. You see, I think that many of us would probably consider sight to be one of the primary ways that we engage the world, constantly reading words and watching videos and seeing images. But sight is actually one of the very last senses that we utilize as we wake, and it is the very last sense to be developed as a baby. If you remember the very beginning of this whole series that we've been doing on senses, we began with touch. And I said that it's because touch is the very first sense to be developed in the womb. And the rest of the series has followed more or less in order. After touch, the connected senses of taste and smell develop as the baby is able to taste what the mother eats which might explain some of those strange cravings that can occur during pregnancy. And then hearing develops and a baby can actually hear sounds and music from within the womb and has already learned their mother's voice by the time of birth. And then the last sense to begin to develop is sight. And it even continues developing after the baby is born. For the first few months of a newborn's life, the whole world is just blurry. It's only after a few months that a baby can start to see and and track moving objects that be able to look around and see things from a distance. So even though sights may be the sense we use the most, it's actually the one that develops last. And I think this is true in our spiritual lives as well. You see, we can hear the word preached or we can feel the waters of baptism. We can taste the bread and cup of communion, but seeing the activity of God around us actually takes a bit of spiritual growth and discernment. So morning by morning, new mercies I see is actually a pretty advanced spiritual skill. And even someone who has grown into the discerning activity of God, they won't actually see God with their eyes until that day when faith becomes sight. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, we see now in a mirror dimly, but then we will see face to face. So sight is a really difficult sense to talk about in the realm of faith after all we're told to walk by faith and not by sight. But nonetheless, it is vitally important. And though it comes late in physical development and spiritual development, sight appears early in the Bible. In fact, it is the very first nickname that God gets in the Bible. You know, God gets several nicknames throughout Scripture. One that occurs regularly is El Shaddai, usually translated God Almighty. Elsewhere, God is referred to as the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Or in Isaiah, he often refers to God as the Holy One of Israel. But the very first nickname that anyone ever gives to God is in Genesis 16. Hagar is the servant in the household of Abraham and Sarah. But she has been violated by Abraham and abused by Sarah, so she runs away into the wilderness. And while she's in the wilderness, the angel of the Lord comes to her and finds her, encourages her, and gives her A promise of blessing. And after this encounter, in Genesis 16, verse 13, it says, So she named the Lord who spoke to her. You are El Roy, which means God sees. For she said, Have I really seen God and remained alive after seeing him? So, the first person in all of Scripture to give God a name is not Abraham, Isaac, or Jacob. It's not Moses or David. It's Hagar, an Egyptian servant girl. Long before Moses met with God face to face in the tabernacle or saw him in the burning bush, long before Jacob would wrestle with God at Bethel, Hagar sees God, and is seen by El Roy, the God who sees. And this is who God is throughout Scripture. The psalmist sings of God looking down on the earth and of wanting to see God in the temple The prophets speak of a day when God will come to give sight to the blind and when people will see the Lord. And then that day comes. John says that the word who is God became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory. And when Jesus comes, he does give sight to the blind, but beyond the gift of seeing... Jesus gives the gift of being seen. Jesus truly comes as Elroy in the flesh. He is the God who sees. And so I want to look at one of these stories of seeing today. So open up your Bible to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19 is where we're going to go. Now, at this point in Luke's story, Jesus is nearing the end of his journey toward Jerusalem. But before he gets to Jerusalem, he has to pass through Jericho, a well-known city in the ancient world uh, that the Israelites had to get through on their way into the promised land, if you remember that. And Matthew, Mark, and Luke all tell the same story about Jesus' time in Jericho. In Matthew 20, Mark 10, and Luke 18, all of these tell the story of a blind man calling out to Jesus and Jesus giving him sight. And then Jesus says, your faith has made you well. And so this truly is a story of faith becoming sight. And we see it in Matthew and Mark and Luke. But Luke adds a second story here in Jericho. And if that first story is one of faith becoming sight, then this second story is a story of sight becoming faith. And this is the story that we're going to read in Luke chapter 19, beginning in verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through it. And a man was there named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was short in stature. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him because he was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry, "'and come down, for I must stay at your house today.' So we hurried down and was happy to welcome him. All who saw it began to grumble and said, "'He has gone to be the guest of one who is a sinner.' Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, "'Look, half of my possessions, Lord, I will give to the poor.' And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will pay back four times as much. And then Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, for he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek out and save the lost. This is the word of God for the people of God. Let's pray. O oh Lord, We thank you for the gift of sight. I pray that as we consider the words of your scripture, that you would sharpen our minds and soften our hearts, that we might know you and love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So many of us have heard this story before and and probably sung songs about it right but perhaps you've never thought about it that the story is really all about seeing because not only does it come right after the story of a blind man receiving his sight but in these 10 verses there are at least 5 uses of the word to see right Zacchaeus is trying to see Jesus and Jesus looks up to see Zacchaeus, and the crowd sees the whole thing. It's all about seeing. So let's look back through the story to see what we can find in it. So back up to the beginning. Chapter 19, verse 1, Jesus is passing through Jericho. And in verse 2, we meet Zacchaeus, who is not only a tax collector, but it says a chief tax collector. Now, I know that we've talked about how Jesus got a lot of flack for spending time with sinners and tax collectors, but some of you might wonder why is that tax collectors were so loathed. Now, the the first reason is actually pretty obvious, and I'll just ask, do you enjoy paying your taxes? No, probably not, of course not. It helps with, in our case, that many of us have this sort of impersonal online form that we can go on and fill out and beep, beep, boop, our taxes are filed. But just imagine that instead of a simple online form, you had a person standing in front of you telling you to pay up, right? That is what it was like in the ancient world. But there's more. Tax collectors often made their money by charging extra. Right, A fair tax collector would make modest wages and probably have a similar standard of living as others in his community, but what does it say about Zacchaeus? He's rich, right? So a tax collector is not only someone who is telling you to pay up, but they're also likely ripping you off in the process. It's easy to see why they would be hated. But there's even more. You see, going all the way back to Abraham, the people believed that God had given this land to them. And so any imposition of foreign rule was a reminder that even though they lived here, the land didn't fully belong to them. And so they resented the Romans and the tax collectors. And these tax collectors were typically a Jewish person who had more or less sold out to work for the Romans. So the people didn't only see the tax collectors as an employee of Rome, which would be bad enough, but they're also seen as a traitor to Israel, which is all the worse. So this is why tax collectors are so hated. They are self-serving thieves and traitors to God's people. But very quickly in the story, we see that Zacchaeus isn't your typical tax collector. In verse 3, we learn, yes, that he's short, and, and that's part of the story, but more importantly, we learn that he was trying to see Jesus. You see, the text doesn't say exactly, but it seems pretty clear that Zacchaeus is not satisfied with his life, and he is looking for something different, something more. And Jesus has entered the town, and Zacchaeus wants to see him. Now, Zacchaeus is rich, right? And as a chief tax collector, he has some measure of influence in the town. And normally, rich and powerful people will simply send for those who they want to see and wait for them to come to their home. But what does Zacchaeus do? In verse 4, he climbs up a tree in order to get a glimpse of Jesus. So it seems like Zacchaeus is not only dissatisfied with his current life, but he is actually looking for a change. But even more, he is desperate. He is desperate for a change. So much so that he scurries up a tree as Jesus passes by. Now, I want to pause here for just a moment because I think we can actually learn a lot from Zacchaeus. We're actually quite a lot like him. By the world's standards, we are generally pretty powerful and pretty wealthy. And even in the midst of a global pandemic, most of us have remained fairly comfortable. But I wonder if we look under the surface of, of our exterior comfort, I wonder if we'll find any of that discontentment like what Zacchaeus had. I wonder how much there might be longing within us for more. And if that's there, if that's down there in us, I want to ask you, how desperate are you? How desperate are you To see Jesus. Now, this is where all spiritual growth begins. It all begins with desire. So how deep is your desire for Jesus? Zacchaeus was desperate enough to leave his tax booth, lose all dignity, and climb up a tree. How might you consider Interrupting your comfortable routine to seek after Jesus. What might that look like in your life? Now, others of you might feel differently. Some of you might feel like you're climbing up all kinds of trees all the time. You know, you have a Bible reading plan, a daily devotional, you always go to church, or in these days, the Zoom meeting or video service. You check up on people, you pray, I mean the list goes on. You are climbing, 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 and you feel exhausted. And if that's you, I want you to take a close look at the next part of the story. Because the best part is not that Zacchaeus climbed up a tree to see Jesus. The best part comes in verse 5. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry, come down, for I must stay at your house today. You see, it is a good thing to see Jesus, but it is a better thing to know that Jesus sees you. It is good to desperately pursue him, but it is a better thing to know that he is in desperate pursuit of you. After all, isn't that the point that he makes? In verse 10, the son of man came to seek and save the lost. So I want you to hear this. No matter who you are, or what your background is, Jesus sees you. Whether you are deeply spiritual or just on the edge of believing, whether your life is rich and comfortable or desperately miserable, Jesus sees you. And he doesn't see you because of the effort you're putting into climbing up trees. He sees you because he loves you. And it is his mission to seek you and find you. I love that when Jesus looks up to Zacchaeus, he calls him by name. He doesn't say, hey, you there up in the tree. You know, it sure is good thing that you got my attention because I, I really needed a place to stay tonight. Rather, he says, Zacchaeus, come down from there. I am on my way to your house. Jesus didn't see Zacchaeus because of all of his efforts. When he called to him, he already knew him. And the same is true of you. Jesus sees you and he knows you by name. It's a good thing to climb up trees to see Jesus, but it is even better to rest in the knowledge that Jesus sees you and he's coming to your house. And this is the last great movement of the story. Zacchaeus worked hard to catch a glimpse of Jesus only to be surprised that Jesus was actually already looking at him and called him by name. And when Zacchaeus let Jesus into his house, everything changed. In verse 8, it says, Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, look, half of my possessions, Lord, I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will pay back four times as much. You see, whatever his net worth was before, it's less than half of that now. Now, I wonder how much time passed between verse 5 and verse 8. I wonder how much time passed between Jesus calling out to Zacchaeus and Zacchaeus giving his wealth to those who had need. Was it immediately after Jesus called to him? Was it later that night after eating and talking with Jesus? I wonder how long did Jesus stay with Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus. Maybe it was days or weeks later. And Zacchaeus had spent time following and watching and learning from Jesus, only to then finally say, I'm going to give all of these things away and make things right. Whatever the time frame was, after Zacchaeus let Jesus into his home, everything changed. And in verse 9, Jesus proclaims, "Today salvation has come to this house." Now isn't that funny? What is it that came to Zacchaeus's house? Or perhaps more accurately, who is it that came to Zacchaeus's house? It's Jesus. Jesus is the salvation that came to Zacchaeus' house. Jesus is the one that transformed Zacchaeus. You see, Zacchaeus started off trying to see Jesus, only to discover that Jesus was already looking at him. And once he rested in that knowledge, he was finally free to see others really see others, not just for the money that they owed, but for the people they were and for the needs that they had. And once Zacchaeus was restored to Jesus and restored to others, he would find that he himself had been restored. He had finally discovered that desperate desire within him and fulfilled it and Jesus proclaims salvation has come to this house so this is Zacchaeus's story from seeing Jesus to being seen by Jesus to seeing others because of Jesus as we come to a close I want to ask you where are you in the midst of this story? Where are you on that journey from seeing Jesus to being seen by Jesus to seeing others because of Jesus? So I want to ask you some questions to reflect. Do you believe that Jesus sees you and knows your name? Do you believe that he has come to seek you and save you? Do you believe that you need saving? Do you have that desperate desire to know Jesus more? What are some of the ways that you can try seeking him? What kinds of of trees are there beckoning your exploration? What spiritual disciplines or practices might you try out in order to get a better glimpse of Jesus. And finally, who are the people that Jesus is calling you to see? Who are the people that, that you can serve? Who are the ones that you need to make things right with? How does seeing Jesus and being seen by Jesus help you to see others more clearly? As you consider all of these things, I want you to rest in this, that God is still the God who sees. And though we now see him as in a mirror dimly, there is coming a day when we will see him face to face. And that day will be beautiful. But until then, may it be with us as it was with Zacchaeus. Today, salvation has come to this house. Amen.